Father, we praise you for your love for us, for that you had such great love that you sent your Son to be the payment for our sin. We have life in him that you will hold us, that you will keep us, that you will preserve us and change us and conform us into who you designed us to be. May we embrace that. May we, we long for the change that you promise. May we long to see your work fulfilled in this world and not see it as something that's way out, the world out there, but that the world that starts here in each of us. Help us to listen to your word, uh, to understand it, to receive it, and to obey it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 8 for us to get started, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, actually I'll start in verse 15 from the previous verse, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, uh, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when God, when the goodness of our loving kind and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. That I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. We'll stop there. Um, in churches like ours, and evangelical churches like ours, we have uh, loved to talk about personal holiness. All right, we... We have written many books about personal holiness. We have preached countless sermons about it. We have a class at Countryside called Personal Holiness that we teach regularly. And it's good that we talk about personal holiness. You can consider the Sermon on the Mount and recognize the importance of our hearts being engaged with God. And the epistles address it. My first two sermons of the year were about devotion to God on a personal level. So we should say yes when we say personal holiness is important. And we talk about it in terms of love and joy and peace and commitment to God's word. And I think that we have a, most, if you've grown up at least in this kind of a setting, you have a sense of what that means for yourself. I think then you're like, okay, I think when I think about my personal holiness and my family, I could begin to extend it out to my family, what is my calling in terms of my family, and then I mean, maybe the next circle out is I begin to think about my church family and how does my holiness affect them and what am I called to in the church. But I think the farther we go out, 
the less certain we are about what holiness is supposed to look like. I found that Christians are really are all over the board. And when it comes to, what does my holiness look like when it comes to engaging with the culture around me? And, and I'll kind of lay out some generalities here. I think there's like the one camp of, of uh, Christians who, who, who at least operate in the way that my holiness usually means my disengagement from the culture, my disengagement from society. All right, this group of people, they, they pay their taxes, they vote most of the time, and they think about driving the speed limit. Um, they don't have necessarily any meaningful contact with the culture beyond work or what's required with their job. They're known in their community as nice. Uh, they have a heart for evangelism. Often would talk about trying to reach their neighbors, but depending on their maybe stage in life, if they're a man or a woman or they're, you know, whatever they're doing at that stage, they might not actually have any real, long-lasting, deep engagement with the culture outside of their family, their church. And if you are from a more fundamentalist sort, you might think of verses like, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. Separate. That might be familiar to some. So that's, that's just a generalization of some people that might fall into that bucket. Like that might be your experience. You're like, you know, I, I, I honestly don't engage that much with the world around me. Then there's the other, another set of Christians <clears throat> that are very interested in the direction of society. They think about verses like, may God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so let's engage in the world so the God's will can be done here. They talk about the government and culture a lot. And they have lots of opinions about it. They always vote. They complain about taxes. And they speak sometimes more about revolution than missions. It's not to say they don't have a heart for evangelism. Because many of them do. But there's like a tug of war with them, within them. They're like, I want to reach the lost. But they're like, ah, but some of those people are our enemy. Like, they just battle this internally. And they want to engage with society. And for many of them, it's mostly talk and not much action. So I think people fall into those categories. If you've been around and know enough Christians, you might know, well, I may be in this little, maybe more in this box than that box. This morning, I want to address these verses, verses 1 and 2 in Titus. And I want us to give, give us some I want something to come to my, our minds when I say we need to have a, not just a personal holiness, but a public holiness. There should be a sense in which we engage in the world and know what that means. What am I called to? How am I to be holy in the world? How am I to be holy in my engagement with the world? To honor God both in our personal devotion and in our public devotion. I hope we have a better unified answer when we say, what is our responsibility to our government and to those in our, com our community? Because Paul is going to address this in the closing chapter of Titus. This is going to be what he's talking about. In a sense, going to say, here's what pub public holiness looks like. So here's the, the, the point I think he's going to make here. This is kind of like part one leading us into this chapter. But here's the, the point. God's goodness towards us 
should translate into our goodness towards the world. All right, God's goodness towards us should translate into our goodness towards the world. All right, God has been good to you, now you be good to the world. We're going to break it down to this, be a good citizen and be a good neighbor. That's what we're going to see in verses 1 and 2. So let's look at those verses together. Number, uh, first point here, engage the culture. We are to engage the culture through submissiveness to earthly rulers. In other words, be a good citizen. So verse 1 says, be submissive to rulers and authorities. And then be obedient. And some of you are thinking, well, that's no good way to start a Sunday morning. All right? We struggle with the idea of being submissive to submission. And we struggle with that, and we live in a free country. But this this verse applies to everyone no matter where they live. So we say that, and we struggle. Know that people in Saudi Arabia, Christians are told the same thing there, or in China. Now, apparently, this wasn't the first time that the the churches in Crete needed to hear this because he says, remind them. Remind them of these things. All right, Crete had been, just 150 years earlier, had been an independent uh, nation. They were a democracy. They They were free, and now the Romans are taking over. And so I'm sure, just like with us, people like to talk about how they don't like to be ruled over by others. They wanted their freedoms. They didn't like to submit like proud people, a proud nation doesn't. Like I said last week in the, in the sermon about bond servants, that the call to submit, think of it as like a chain of command. All right, like, like in the military, there is an order to society. And so there is a, um, like in the military, your government is over you in that earthly chain of order. And you have to follow their direction. Their laws, rendering to them what they are due, taxes and honor and respect, as they have been set in place by God. There's no room for, let's just do what's right in our own eyes. That's not acceptable for a Christian. God has established government and ordained its rulers. And the Bible repeatedly says we are to be good citizens of the nation in which we are by submitting and obeying to the government. I'm going to read um, just two primary passages about this because I just want us to hear it and let God word, God's word speak most clearly on it. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who has authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on, wrongdoer, on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities 
are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And then for 1 Peter chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to have every human institution, whether it be in the, as the emperor, as supreme, or as governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I just wanted to let those scriptures just be heard directly from God himself so we could admit that the scripture is clear. And, and there's many here, and maybe I'd line up with you at times and say, I kind of, well, in my flesh, I, mean, I wish it wasn't so clear. That our call is to submission and obedience to governing rulers and authorities. So the rebel inside of us needs to hear these words. And amidst, amidst all the complexities of life and the exceptions in Scripture, we can never ignore this clear teaching. If you're someone who is tempted to despise your wicked rulers or tempted to be a revolutionary, then here's my advice to you. This is 2 Timothy 2, 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. There's an urge in us, there's an urge in, 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 in many of us, in fact, to say, I would love there to be a, a renewal, a revival, or even a, a revolution of righteousness in our land. And I will tell you, if that is what you want, then let's listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22. We need to start praying. We need to desire to live peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lives. You know what? We may actually be surprised what the Lord may do with a praying and peaceful church to bring about godly rulers. And if you are, if you are the more revolutionary type, and you know who you are, all right, I want, <clears throat> I want to hear you talk with each other, and I want to hear you talk with me more in terms of your prayers than your plans. I want to hear you pray about our president more than you talk about him. And, and to, to say that, to say I actually, we actually should pray more for him than we talk about him would be very difficult for many in this room. Very difficult. Because it's like a, it's like a hobby at this point. You know? And you're like, and so if I said, you pray more than you talk, you're going to say, that's really hard. And I'm going to say, you're totally right. That is hard. 
But that's what God's calling us to. We can all come up with our plans the way we think we would be the right person or we know who the right person is. And we pray so little. If you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy to talk. And I'll speak to the men on this one from 1 Timothy 2.8. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So now they're frustrated about 50% of you. We'll go to point two. Engage the culture through being ready to do good. All right, this is the be a good neighbor. Be a good neighbor. So if you notice halfway through verse 2, after he says to be submissive to the rules and authorities, he says, um, and be obedient, he says to be ready for every good work. Be ready. And then he says, he kind of closes it out in verse 3, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. So Paul is beginning to broaden the scope here. He's expanding from your relationship to the government. Now he's saying, now here's your relationship to all people. Here's how that works together. Here's our engagement with society. Be ready to do something. Be ready to do something towards all people. Be prepared. Be in shape. Peter talks about being ready to give an answer to the hope that we have, right? We need to be spiritually fit enough to accomplish the good work that God has prepared us to do. I thought of uh, the, the Minutemen. You remember learning about the Minutemen in school, right? In the colonies. During the Revolutionary War, these were men who were ready to be called upon in a minute to engage in what they were called up to do. They were these, these militias who, were, who, who had prepared themselves to be called upon in a moment's notice to act. We can learn a lot from them. We can begin to ask ourselves, how ready are we to act as an ambassador for Christ in the world? Like, how ready are you in a moment's notice to give wise counsel to a friend from God's word? How, how ready, ready are you in a moment's notice to be able to give joyfully to someone in need? How ready are you to respond when it starts to get tough? You know, when, you, when your boss says, Here, here's, the, here's the rainbow flag pin I want you to wear for our meetings. Are you, are you ready for an answer? Are you ready to do good when the culture is applying pressure to conform to evil? If we're waiting for the emergency to arrive, it's too late. Like the Minutemen, we must be ready. We must be ready to act for good under all forms of government and all types of cultures. And here's, and here's where I think Paul's driving at, where we're going to kind of go this morning as we continue here, is submissiveness to government does not equate to passivity in culture. All right, submissiveness to government does not equate to passivity in culture. Paul is not calling Christians to be ready to stay at home and not do anything and just watch God's plan unfold. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying be ready, so just kind of hunker down and watch. He says be ready. What's the first thing he says be ready to do? Be ready for every good work. And he, he says it again in verse 14 of the same chapter. 
And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Some translations say be zealous for good works. Like we have a zeal to do good. The good that God has called us to. Now, in relationship to culture and government, we have often thought and often expressed it in in these terms. We are to submit to the government unless they ask us to sin or unless they prohibit us from doing something God asks us to do. And that is true. That's a true statement. But as I've considered what Paul says here, I wonder if that's too narrow And I wonder if that puts us on the defense. In other words, okay, if the government and society is saying do this, okay, then we'll respond and we'll do this. Or they're moving this way, so I guess that means we've got to move that way. I think Paul is giving us something here more powerful than that. He says, I want you to be ready to do good works. Do you hear, hear like the positive nature of that rather than the defensive way of expressing, well, they do this, so we do that. And they push, and so we pull back this way. He says, no, I want you to be doing something. There's something you're called to do. There's action that we need to be ready to take in this world. And often, again, we speak about it in terms of avoidance, the avoidance of evil. And I, I, you know, I'll give you an example, like a hard case. Or one that we would often, Christians often would think about. You know, what would I do if I lived under Nazi Germany? It's like, so, so I mean, the government is, is wicked and evil and society is moving in a wicked and evil direction. And we ask ourselves, you know, what, what would I do in that scenario? It's a good thing. You should ask yourself that question. And sometimes we have framed it in terms of like, well, I wouldn't sin. Like, I, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to do something that's evil. So, um, you know, so they asked me to come out and they asked me to shoot my Jewish neighbor. Well, I wouldn't do that because that, that's a sin. Like, that would be wrong. <clears throat> All right, well, would you pass out the stars? Like, they ordered you to, like, hey, get in line. You're going to pass out the stars to your neighborhood. Find all the Jews, give them one of these, make them sew it on. I mean, technically, that's not a sin. Do I do that? Or you work for the, the you know, the, the county clerk's office. And they're like, hey, pull up all the files of the Jews in town because... We're going to get rid of them. So, I mean, you're just filing papers. I mean, is, is that the standard? Like, just avoidance and, like, wrestle through each decision, yet I'm basically a passive person just responding to what's coming my way. Is that what Paul is calling us to be? Because there's a difference between what evil can I avoid and what good can I do. You understand the difference? There's a difference between what evil can I avoid versus what good can I do. I think Paul is giving us a powerful command here in how to relate to government and society. Be ready for every good work. We are to stand ready to obey all that God commands and teaches. Regardless of what our local magistrates or the pressure of society, we stand ready for every good work. Galatians 6.10, so then, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Do good. And, and here's, a, here's, a, here's an important point. Doing good does not equal nice. You know, ask your average American, what, what does it mean that someone's a good person, what, what are they like? Well, they're nice. They're, they're nice. I'm not saying it doesn't mean we shouldn't be nice. But that does not sum up what doing good is all about. Clearly, we are to speak evil of no one. We are to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy. I mean, that's what the verse says. But being a good citizen or a good neighbor is not about being a passive citizen and a friendly neighbor. It is about being zealous for good works. means speaking concrete words of truth and taking actions for the good work that God has called us to do. Like a Minuteman mentality. I'm ready to act. So yes, we submit to governing authorities. But here's the thing. But we never stop doing good. And, and this is important. We don't stop doing good even when our culture and our government says stop doing good. We do what... Paul says in Galatians, as you have an opportunity to do good, you do it. As the opportunity presents itself, we please God. As opportunity is given to us, we adorn the gospel of God, the doctrine of God. We bring glory to God every opportunity that I have, regardless of what the government is doing or saying, regardless of what the society is doing or saying. I am actively about doing the good work that God has called me to do. I'm ready to act at all times, no matter what the culture says. And that involves speaking. Doing good always starts with speaking what is good. All right, first and foremost, that's about preaching Christ. So we could go to Acts chapter 5, and we could look at the example of the apostles. They're like, they're not going to stop preaching Christ, even if they throw them in jail. So doing good requires speaking the truth about Jesus. Speaking truth trumps man's laws. But we don't just speak like the specific gospel message about Jesus dying for, for our sins and raising from the dead only. We're to speak the whole counsel of God. All of it is good and all of it should be said. And we should be ready at any occasion to bring God's word to bear on whatever place we are in the world. The church must never lose its prophetic voice to the culture and to the government. In other words, speaking to the culture and speaking to the government. And sometimes the goodness, doing good looks like becoming like John the Baptist and calling out the sin of the king. The prophets would speak out and speak the truth. The apostles would do it and Jesus did it. Each of us does have an opportunity to speak into our spheres the truth of God. In our families, at our family gatherings, at our workplace, at our community, so doing good starts with speaking what is good. And if you haven't noticed, which you probably have, speaking the truth can actually be an act of defiance against the government and the culture. Just saying it. And 
I think if we understand the way the Bible's speaking in these terms, we'll, we understand that we can't be silent in our world. If we're going to do good in this world, we have to speak what is good. How ready are you to personally speak the good news of Christ and his kingdom in the face of real opposition to your words? And that's basically where most of our country lives. If they're, if they're going to encounter tension right now in our society, it's going to be with words, right? And that, I mean, it's all about words. Don't say this word, say that word. You, you must say these words. I mean, it's all about words. And so doing good in our environment is going to be bold in speaking true and good words. And we have to be ready to do it. We have to prepare ourselves to do it. We have to prepare our children to do it. So they are ready to stand up recognizing that these words will get me in trouble with society. And they actually may get me in trouble with government. But I must speak the words that are good. But good works It's not all talk, it's action. We must be zealous to do good, he said in verse 14. And there are times when doing good is an act of revolution or or rebellion. The fact that one day the government, this government that Paul is calling them to submit to would actually execute Paul himself, highlights the fact that being a good citizen and a good neighbor might get you killed by the government you seek to submit to and the neighbors you seek to love. History is full of men and women who have done good in the name of Christ in the face of evil. And some did it under hostile circumstances and some did it during peace and prosperity. And we can learn something from both of them. I'm just going to give you a few examples that you're familiar with. So I don't have to, well, most of you will be familiar with them. I won't have to tell you the whole story. But just recognize these are Christians who said, I have an opportunity to do good. And they weren't on the defensive passive mode. They're like, we're going to take active steps to do good in where we are placed. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his writing to Philemon, in his, in his private conversation to address the issue of slavery, right? You know that book, you know? Just undermining it gently. You should, you should receive this man as your brother, not as your slave. We could think of men like William Wilberforce, who made it his goal and intention to eradicate slavery in the British Empire and worked hard at it as a member of parliament there. And, and, and worked hard and said, I'm not just going to watch it go by and just respond. I'm going to take action. To do good. Or Corey Ten Boom, to go back to the World War II example, right? Her family undermined the evil taking place around them by doing good. By hiding Jews in their home. By risking their life to do good. The pro-life movement today seeks to overcome evil with good. At times being arrested. And they're doing this in resistance to perhaps what the law of the land is or what society is pressuring them to say and do and not do. And it's a gloriously good thing. Or even what are missionaries doing most of the time? They're going into places that aren't inviting them. 
They're not saying, we're so glad you're here. Come tell us what we want to hear. You're going in and telling them what they don't want to hear and saying the words that they don't want to hear from you and that they're, in some cases, trying to get you not to say. And how many untold Christians have done good in the name of Christ through the centuries? Helping slaves find freedom and escape being murdered at the hands of their slave owners. That's a good work that Christians did. Saving Jewish lives from Pharaoh or from the Nazis. This is good. Refusing to obey evil orders. That is good. All these individuals did not ask, what evil can I avoid, but what good can I do? I hope you're getting the point. Submission to government does not require submission to evil. No one has the right to command me to stop doing what the good that Jesus calls me to do. We submit to the king of kings above all petty tyrants and foolish nations. So do you want to fight evil? Do you want to overcome evil? Do you want to impact the world for eternity? Then be readying yourself and taking every opportunity as it is presented to you to speak what is good and to do what is good. And don't underestimate the effects of doing good. Paul's going to say this multiple times. He's been saying it already, to do things that adorn the doctrine of God, to do good works, to, 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 to speak in these terms as terms of when we go out into the world, like have this mindset of being ready to act in these ways, be ready to, to speak in these ways, be ready to, to silence those who contradict these things. So don't underestimate the effects of doing good in a culture, but this is important too. Do not underestimate the danger of doing good in the culture. Many lives have been lost for the sake of Christ by Christians who chose to do good. To him who knows to do good in his personal life, in his home life, at work, and in society. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. And what's the manner? And what's the manner in which we do it? I mean, he, he, he lists several of the things there. Speak evil of no one. Don't speak evil about anybody in doing this, even those who desire your death. We don't insult. We don't use abusive language. We are called to do it without quarreling. All right, the, the world does not need us to argue with them. Listen to what Jesus says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Isn't that, isn't that what Paul is saying here? Be ready to do good. We are to be gentle and patient. And we are to show all courtesy towards all people. That's an all-encompassing statement. Or actually, I think it says perfect courtesy, but it's actually the same word all in both cases. Um, all courtesy to all people. This is not show some courtesy to all people or show all courtesy to some people. It's all courtesy to all. So we don't tar and feather. We don't do evil to accomplish good. We are strong and zealous 
to act for good in godly ways as citizens and neighbors. And I don't think most of us maybe are as prepared as we ought to be for this. Or even trying that hard. I mean, it's so easy. It's not just Christians. Just people. It's so much easier to talk than to do. It's so much easier to say what you think is a great idea and not do any great ideas. We ought to be ready and engaged in proclaiming Christ, speaking truth, doing good. This is our cultural calling. And may none of us fold under the pressure to conform to evil. So why do we do this? Why do we act this way? What's Paul's reasons for doing this? Well, it's in verses 3 through 8. I'm not going to read it again. But his reasons for doing this are because of what God has done for us. Summarizing it, you know, we were once foolish. We were once like the world. We once lived like the world and did what the world did. We were once lost in our sins. And we were once like these leaders who now oppress us. Therefore, submit to them and do good. And he goes on to talk about God's loving kindness towards us and saving us. Because God rescued us and delivered us and saved us and forgave us of our sins. That's why we go into the world and we do good. And, and we have a hope, he says. We have an eternal hope. And because of that hope, that's why we live today in this world this way. Because it's because of God's grace towards us that we do good toward all men. And so, ask yourself, what is, it, what is God's goodness towards you in Christ? What is the forgiveness of your sins? What is the promise of eternal life given to you, driving you to do? Like right now, what are you, what are you doing? It's going to look different, each of us. I mean, different, we're in different stages of life. We've got different freedoms. But none of us are exempt from it. I, I'm going to throw things out there, but the list is endless. Um, these are the ones that came to my mind. To volunteer at Helping Hands, the Crisis Pregnancy Center. They need volunteers. You could say, like, yeah, I hope people don't have abortions. Or you could do something about it. And here's something, like, you're, you're free to do. Like, it's, it's free. They, they're asking, you know. You could say, you could even look at government and say, you know what? I, I, could run, I could run for some office, big or small. That's, a, that's an opportunity to do good in the world. I, I could be a teacher and, and try to influence young people with the truth of God. I could be raising my kids to, to lay down their life for the gospel. Like, to talk that way with my children and not only talk it, somehow figure a way to do it. Do it with them. I mean, seriously, I mean, have your children ever seen you share the gospel with somebody? If you're like, yeah, okay, we got to share the gospel with people, kids. Let's, let's pray that we get chances to do that. I mean, have they ever heard the words come out of your mouth when talking to a stranger or talking to a friend? I mean, that's something you can do. 
Like, these are, the, these are the good works prepared for us. And here's one more thing you could do. Some of us might need to just stop talking like we do. Like, obey the rest of the verse. Don't be argumentative. Don't be quarrelsome. Don't speak evil of people. And it's so much, so natural to so many of us. Like, do it because it honors God, but also do it because it teaches your children or your grandchildren how to think like Jesus thinks. There is so much good that, to be, that can be done in light of God's goodness to us. Are you active in this work? Or are you just buying your time until heaven? We should pray for the words to speak and the actions to take and to take. For God is holy, and so we're to be holy. And God, God does good for us. And so we should be doing good for others. And so we should have this sense of like, it's not just my personal holiness I'm called to. I'm called to public holiness. I'm called to live out my life before this world and in this world, striving, running, looking, acting for ways that he has set for me. So I am ready on a moment's notice to act. We're about to take communion together. I mean, this is the celebration of the greatest good ever done in all of the history of humanity and in the history of this world, the history of creation. That God demonstrates his love for us. That he's acting for our good in saving us and rescuing us. So this is remembering the cross. It's remembering my need for forgiveness. It's also a nourishment to me that I might go out and do. That I might go out and speak of it. And act in light of it. And it's a reminder not to just take it again without thought to what impact it's supposed to have on my life. And really what impact should it have in Jonesville or Hillsdale and Jackson County, like, is, is, it, is, any, is anything different around here because countryside is here? Because you're there? This should motivate us to think in those terms. To say, Lord, forgive me of my sin and forgive me perhaps of just being passive. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just not doing much for anyone outside of me and my little immediate context. So, as we come forward for communion, certainly, as always, be praying for your own relationship with the Lord. This is for Christians. This is for Christians who are walking with Christ today. This is ones who are using this time to confess their sin and renew their heart to, for God and, and, and taking his sacrifice seriously. So, I'm going to pray. Um, and then as the music uh, begins to play, you are welcome to come forward and uh, return to your seat, and then we will partake of the elements together. Father, what a glorious calling you have set upon our lives to rescue us, to take us from darkness and put us into a, your kingdom of light, to renew our minds, And that we have your word to do that, and we have this, this partaking of communion together to do that. That it, it renews us too. It reminds us of the cross. It reminds us of your, the, the, the coming of 
of Christ again. And that we have something to do between his first coming and his second. Show us what we need. Um, For some of us, it's just maybe a lack of what to do. I don't know what to do. So may we pray for what to do. And may we um, humble ourselves before you in this moment and praise you for uh, the greatness of your love.